Does anybody have a really good scary voice? <laughs> no. A scary voice? No. No, I was thinking somebody here would have a good joke. Joe probably. <laughs> I think you do. No, Joe could put the special effect in instead. No. That could be the intro right there. Gene Doss. Stephanie's. <laughs> 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 it's the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. Have you prepared what you're going to say for the, the intro, since you're part of the intro now? Oh, we're doing a new oh. intro? Yes, we have to do an intro. Your Are face. you prepared? <gasps> God, no, I'm not. <laughs> no? Aww. Season three, you got to be in it. That's probably what it was, so you already did it. It's already done. <laughs> <laughs> intro over. Welcome to Cold Oatmeal, a podcast by the Rush Strategies team about PR and public affairs. Really. I was distracted staring at Joe's cold oatmeal. Yeah, well, it's here. He's got it on his, it's, on his it's desk. Always right here. Here. It's always here. And by the way, the, the, the ratio of like fruit to disgusting is like 1 to 10. It's got some disgusting stuff and some fruit. Yeah, it's There's like nothing disgusting. One part fruit. What's, what, what in there is disgusting? I don't even know what's in it, but it, it looks like cucumber mash and... Maybe a couple of chopped apples. Did you have Burger King for breakfast? What was your... Save it, guys. <laughs> Hey, welcome back. Uh, this is Matt Resch of Resch Strategies, and you are listening to the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. Our guest is already clicking in her chair. She's nervous. <laughs> She's not prepared. It's going to be awesome. Totally unprepared. Unprepared. That's the best kind. The best guests. Um, Rest Strategies, yes, we are a public affairs and a public relations firm based in Lansing, Michigan. Uh, you can find us at reststrategies.com, and we are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Resh Strategies. Uh, you can also find our podcast on iTunes. If you subscribe there, you get it early. You get it a few, a few minutes early from everybody else, so do that, and leave some reviews and, and rankings. We always appreciate that, and if you are a fan of the Twitter um, at Cold Oatmeal Pod is the uh, Twitter account for this for this very popular exploding podcast. Exploding. Right. Well, I think I, think I like it. I'm going to go out on a limb. I yeah. think we can call it exploding. Why not? Like down in flames, exploding? No, <laughs> like <laughs> exploding. Like isn't in wow, popularity. That was awesome, exploding. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there are some voices you hear. I'm going to go around the room. We have we have a special <gasps> sit-in guest with Ooh. us. So, Nikki, why don't you start, and then we'll see. <laughs> I don't have to. You always say, Nikki, what are you? Nikki O'Mara. Okay. And then who? who is this sitting next to Nikki? It's Carly Buell. Hey. <laughs> Your wonderful intern. That's yes. right. Carly, it's good to have you here on a day that we're doing this. I'm so excited. That's right. She's holding the mic, so yes. it's like it's karaoke night at Dagwood's, and she's ready to, mm-hmm. she's ready to rip out. I'm going to tear it up. I wonder little, if it's some sort journey. of like intern hazing that she needs to hold it the whole time that we're talking. Yeah, my did fault. you purposely my fault. lose my I don't my know stand? where my stuff is. I, <laughs> I, it's here somewhere. It, we'll figure it out. This won't happen again. Nope, it, it's just intern hazing, Joe. We don't have to. I can take it. It's yeah. fine. It's the worst thing that's ever happened to you here, so yeah, <laughs> you'll be okay. True. No, remember that one time that we invited her to a soccer game? I do. That was pretty tough. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. that was, was bad for you guys. The staff outing. <laughs> the staff outing that... You missed out on my wonderful staff. company. Okay. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Laura Beal. Stephanie Vancouvering. And Nick DeLewis here. Joe Beshi. So this is this is a first. This is a first for the podcast. We have had we've had many people. I mean, this what is that episode five, season three? So this is like forty four times we've sat down and done this. Something, something like, like that. that yeah. 
and we have never had a lobbyist on. Now, some would claim that Chris Harkins was a lobbyist, but he technically wasn't when he it, we when we invited him. He was a lobbyist, but he got hired to do a new job the day that he was supposed to come. So he was no so it longer a lobbyist. It does not count. So you know, Peter Rudell has begged and begged to be on this podcast. Sorry, Peter. he's a lobbyist, but he will never be on the podcast. <laughs> And of course, the whale. I think he thinks begging is the best way to knock it on. Yeah. I mean. Beg, yeah, <laughs> beg, and you won't get it. The whale, of course, has you know started a a public relations campaign to try to get himself on. Yeah. Joe, luck. is the whale going to be on? No. <laughs> Sorry, Steve. No. It's always good to know who I'm offending by being here. <laughs> Thank you. <for laughs> that. Okay. We'll make that very clear. But no, today is the one and only Gene Doss. Uh, we thought of of the lobbyists in town who should sit in this chair first. If we even have another lobbyist on after this is all over, I'm not sure that might be, there might not be a need. Gene is the one to have. So Okay, so let me catch you on that right away. I know I wasn't your first choice. Like so many things in my life, I, I was not your first choice. How do you know that? Because you ask my coworker. See, ben but I, Ben, Ben was not. I was not asking Ben here as a lobbyist. Wasn't that like an emergency situation? Yeah, that, that was. Yeah. Emergency. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ben. That was when we were trying to get the weatherman. Yes, and we didn't know if the weatherman could come. Don't tell Ben. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, Jean, it, Jean is a partner at the Lansing Lobby Firm of Capital Services. She's been working in the advocacy business for almost twenty-five years. Graduate of U of M. And a partner of my high school buddy and college roommate, best man at my wedding, Ben Bodkin. The infamous. Fill in, fill in, podcast fill in, Ben Bodkin. <laughs> at some point. At some point. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe we can get into some Ben stories. I, I've got plenty of stories from like age 15 to 25. Oh, I think that's So perfect. maybe you've got, you can pick up from there and we can fill in the gaps. This is perfect. You turn Matt Rush down, we're going to talk about you on the podcast. Right. <laughs> there we go. It's a whole, whole segment. So yeah, so we got a lobbyist, and it's going to be Jean. But she, before we got in here, I, I was I had a bunch of questions about lobbying prepared. But you started as we walked in, asking, "Are you asking me about my porn collection?" And oh. so I, well, yeah, I have to now. <laughs> so what's the story there? Okay, Mark Grebner, practical, Mark, Grebner, Mark practical Polster, political consulting Polster man. Remember his office used to be downtown, the entire top floor over the Riv. Right? Yeah. Am I yeah. saying that right? Okay. And he was an employer slash social service agency. You know, he had a laundromat inside his office. And he had some really innovative ways to support his employees. And he also had employees that might not have worked out in other less supportive environments. Long story short, this one employee had got sick and had to move out of town. And they went to close out his apartment. And they found out that he had been collecting porn, thinking it would be a great money maker. Well, this was when the internet was starting. Um, was that ever a great money maker? <laughs> boxes and boxes stacked up the walls. Oh, gross. And I That's <laughs> awesome. Because nothing's better than historical porn. Uh. Well, but actually, do you know what's really funny? It's just looking at the centerfold, you can, you can tell exactly what you're <laughs> So, okay. I'm kind of an artist, you know, in my life. If I had really done the courageous thing, I would be an artist. And so I have all sorts of art projects in my house, and I like collecting stuff. You know no one can see you, right? This is this Right, is I'm not using hand, but, but you my... Are very, you're very, you're yeah, I'm, very... Yeah, you know, I'm ready for, I'm ready not just hand for motions. podcast. Okay, so anyways, I, I said to Mark, ooh, I would love some porn. I think that would be so cool. <laughs> I love porn. <laughs> 
And on my front step was a box of porn. Actually, I think I'm getting this. Okay, do you correct yourself in a podcast? Yeah. I don't know. Okay, yeah. we'll correct ourselves. Okay, sure. so I was at his office when he said this. He gave me a box of porn. I took it home. And then I had like a feminist kind of like, oh, porn bad. I have porn in my house. I'm enjoying <laughs> porn bad. So I threw it away. That's a whole story. Taking your box of porn to a recycling facility. And watching the old men try to climb into the dumpster. Another story. And then I kind of admitted to Mark that I threw it away and I felt really bad because actually I really wanted, you know, it's kind of like when you get rid of something you want it again. So that's when a box was mailed to me of porn. And it's just, you can make lampshades out of it, you can cover bo boxes, decoupage, you can leave it out on, it's just really fun. And this I is know, the best <laughs> story we've ever had on <laughs> and, and I just, I first of all, for all the people out there that believe porn subjugates and encourages violence against women, I can, I can do that too, okay? I can do all that and like to cut them up for art projects. <laughs> so that's all, that's all I wanna say about that. It's funny. No, there's not. There's more to say. Oh, but Sean Gailey. <laughs> yes, okay, Sean so Sean Gailey. Gailey. And Peter Adele come full circle. Okay, so it, part of the life of a lobbyist is, is like so many professions. It's hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait. And people think of lobbyists and the ability to schmooze and make small talk at parties. Well, there's also those just, you feel like your life is slipping away waiting outside House or Senate session while they're in caucus or they're waiting at the house, waiting for the voting board to close, you know. there It's just, you wait and you wait and you find yourself just having these mindless conversations with your colleagues. And I started talking about my porn box and Sean Gailey was asking about my porn box and I said, "Should we do Sean Law before? Can we mention? <laughs> should, should we mention who Sean Law is? It, it was. It was it called now? It's, it was Trinity. Trinity Health. Is it Ascension Health now? Or Ascension it Health. It was. It's a Catholic type health right. system. Very good employer. He's a great lobbyist. He's a good person. But I was. I was talking about because I'm just sitting there. You know, we're just talking about anything. And I was saying, my one fear is if I die." you know, people are gonna come in and find this box of porn in my house. And I said, Sean, I want you to be the one that go in the basement, the far northeast corner, and it's marked porn and get it out of my house <laughs> before anybody comes, to, you know, to deal with my affairs, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm single, divorced, and you think about stuff like that. Like, what if I die? Who's going to take care of my dog and cats? Just two cats, just one dog. I'm not that kind of woman, okay? <laughs> just to be very clear. Okay. Two cats, one dog, and a box of porn. <laughs> and so Sean was going to go get the porn for you? He's just, he's the one who is responsible. If I die suddenly, he okay. is responsible for getting it before my family gets finds it. Finds it. So what's Peter doing for you? Um, nothing except looking like Sean. Every okay. time we say Sean, we have to say Peter, that's right? That's right, because they, that's the joke in, in town is that they, they look exactly the same. I don't think they look anything alike, but then, you know. I, this is probably the closest Peter Rodell will get to being on the podcast is us <laughs> telling a story about Sean Gailey. <laughs> See, now I know who we're talking about because <laughs> I, there's always this guy who I think looks like Peter walking around town and I always go to say hi and then realize I don't actually know who that person is. So hello, Sean. <laughs> the weight of the the weight of the world is on your shoulders. And this is quite a responsibility he has. So do lobbyists get a bad rap? Oh, Anybody that people perceive as being more rich than God gets a bad rap, right? You know, and people sort of assume we drive around with trunks of cash. And the chit-chat and the joking is a lot like the way people joke about lawyers, right? And I think 
Yeah, okay. So I was prepared with a story. Um, and, and I like to call, you know, what happens after you're at a cocktail party and you're meeting people and you're trying to be charming and interesting, not talk too much, but, you know, I always talk about, I used to say I'm a lobbyist and, um, and then I would usually wait, mm, you know, it'd be usually one, two, at the most three minutes before the moral pap smear started. Now, I have mm -hmm. written about this before. Don't think that this is breaking news. The porn is breaking public news about me. <laughs> I have written about the moral pap smear because it starts like this. So do you ever have to lobby for something you don't believe in? And it's just this weird, like, that you go out there and advance the forces of evil. And, you know, I don't understand that. I own my own business. I can take whatever clients I want. And I also tell them, everybody deserves, a, you know, it's just like in the court. Everybody deserves a vigorous defense. Everybody deserves a vigorous advocate. And a lot of lobbyists, they don't need that, like, personal, you know, high and holy kind of motivation. And I think they're fantastic lobbyists. I like to like my lobbyists. Now my coworkers, or my, excuse me, I like to like my clients, and I like to like their issues. And so some of my coworkers, Todd Tennis, he watches the transformation as I drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> and I start saying, this is the best client, and it's horrible what they're doing. And outrage is one of my favorite modes. You know, if you look at your speeds, you know, there's one, two, three, and then outrage. So I like being outraged for my clients. But So do they get a bad rap? You know, I, I, I knew you are going to ask about being a lobbyist. And the funny thing is, people say, oh, term limits. That's when it, when it was voted in, but before it hit. That's just going to benefit lobbyists. And I want to go, oh, really? It's going to make lobbyists so powerful. Really, really, I'm waiting for that to happen. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, it only benefits lobbyists. You know, it's, there, there is such a thing as an issue that is full employment for lobbyists, okay? But do lobbyists get a bad rap for that? No, AT&T and Cable get a bad rap for that. You know, so full employment for lobbyists. So just as an example. <laughs> well, while we're on the topic of being a lobbyist, it tends to be, or at least it seems to be a very male-dominated field. So how has that been for you in your career? Oh, that's hilarious because what I just a, what got a... What a Nikki question, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's so weird because I just got out of a meeting and uh, a woman who is new to this issue area um, joined us. And it's on expungement. And I didn't think anything of it. It's the room is just full. And it's interesting. It's not just men. Okay, mm -hmm. For the average person, it's men in expensive suits. Okay, And... Yeah, let's just say they're all white because they were. Okay, <laughs> and this particular this particular uh, chair wanted to have it the meeting in his office, so he had to literally triple the number of chairs that could really physically fit in his office. And she walked in, and she told me later it was like, you know, where she works, it's like Estrogenville, and mm -hmm. this was just the opposite, right? And the suits and everything. So yeah, it's male dominated. Um, Okay, so when I was interviewed, I was the third choice for capital services. The, when they needed to hire an associate lobbyist, they interviewed three people and they hired the first one and she didn't. She left after a month and then they hired another person and that person left and so I was third. And I remember one of the questions they asked me was, you know, is there a person in particular that you have trouble working with? And I said, yeah, men in suits. <laughs> I am, even though I'm a feminist and I'm out there, I actually have that, you know, somebody born in the 50s kind of a mm -hmm. little bit afraid and intimidated by men in suits. You know, I had up to that point in my life, I had spent almost all my jobs with, you know, I worked in a domestic violence program, 
well, that's, I, I, that's actually not true. I work with, anyways, I work with men I could control. I didn't think of them as men in suits I couldn't control, like legislators. But it's, it's something I put on every single day. For some people, and I think maybe they're women that have brothers, they d there's, no, there's no transition whatsoever. Mm -hmm. For me, it is something I put on. I am going out there. And it's not just, obviously, guys. It's not just men. <laughs> it's, but it's, it's that little bit of a persona. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So you, correct me if I get this history wrong, you've done two, two stints at Capital Services, right? When you were there first, and then you went on your own. I'm the newest, oldest employee. Yes. <laughs> you went on your own, and that's when I met you. Right. When we shared office space in Kevin McKinney's building over on Chestnut Street. And you so graciously swapped offices with me. I'm not even sure why I got the nerve to ask if you would switch. But you, you just said, sure, I'll switch with you. <laughs> I liked and you. And so we switched. And then, you know, we've been friends since. But now you're back at Capital Services. Yeah. yeah. How do you compare the two, big firm, medium-sized firm versus, you know, sole, sole yeah. owners? Well, when I got hired by Capital Services in 1991, and I always say this when people ask me, you know, Many of you have been in jobs that you hated, right? Just loathed. This is—is is this the, the portion of the podcast where we talk to Joe about how he hates his job? <laughs> yeah. I was going to let it go this time. It's yeah. a recurring theme. Okay, and, sorry to and interrupt. You, <laughs> and and you're you're just you and you also get to a point. I'm looking at your intern. You get to the point where you think it's never going to change. This thing that your parents told you about doing what you love—it's just all a pile of, you know. And I was desperate to get a job I liked, and I kind of. Pumped up my resume. I did not lie. But I think Daryl Tennis and Ellen Hoekstra, who hired me in 1991, really thought I knew what I was doing. I had no idea. No idea at all. And so, first of all, they sort of saved me. And it was like for the first couple of years, I really just felt so grateful. Um, but it was it's hard work. I mean, we our clients don't have staff. So didn't then, don't now. So you'd work weekends and evenings on top of your week. And you know, stuff was happening. So I was 1991 to 2005, and my dad had dementia. You know, it's you ever had a situation where like a spring just goes loose out of your head, and you go, "Bring, okay, I'm leaving." And I didn't know what I was doing, and I just thought I just have to take a break. And Kevin McKinney tried to talk me out of leaving, and then he said, "You know, if if you're going to start a firm or do consulting, I've got an empty office. You can come hang out there." I didn't know what I was going to do. I was hoping somebody, I didn't know what. But So that's the story. So the best thing I did was leaving, though, and starting something from scratch and having that experience of not having a paycheck. <gasps> Everybody should have that experience just for a very brief period of time. But it just, you know, it was really, I'll never forget. Even though I had consciously left the employee of this company, the last paycheck I received, I thought, what have I done? But I did that for 10 years. So it's like the best thing I did was leaving. And then, and... Todd knows I'm going to tell the story. It was 10 years to the day Todd Tennis called and said, we think it's time for you to come home. And I came back. So it was, a, it was an interesting time. You know, I think being a sole practitioner as a lobbyist, I think those days are probably gone. Um, there aren't many. Yeah, there's a few people who are doing it. And, you know, they're I, like Kevin McKinney. I think he has magical powers. Um, but I found just trying to compete with lobbying firms that had lots of lobbyists was just I couldn't do it. What's it like to be a partner with Ben Bodkin? Oh, my gosh. The best thing in the world is when I was on my own and I, my business was doing okay, I approached Ben to see if he'd come work with me and be my partner. I vaguely remember this, yes. And I, of course, you know, the, the hardest thing when you're on, the hardest thing when you're in business for yourself is healthcare, right? And 
Ben's got three kids and a wife, and you know his wife works and everything. But still, it was just like it was. There was no way I could make the numbers work for him. In a way, he was at that time a lobbyist for the Michigan Association of Counties. So, in between me doing that, he was recruited to Capital Services. So the weird thing and wonderful thing is, I got to go work with Ben Bodkin as my <laughs> partner. And you always think of what is the best thing about your partners, you know? And usually, it's not that you're smart and hardworking. If for Ben, although he's those things. For Ben, hearing his laughter down the hall is just like a tonic to my soul. You know, it really is. It's really so. Yes, he paid me a small fee to say nice things about him. <laughs> this is so hard to listen to. No, <laughs> Wait, do you disagree, man? I don't disagree, but I, ben, to, for for me, Ben was like my sophomore biology table partner. That's how he and I met. It was a sophomore biology class, and the the teacher started. He placed us at our tables of two. It was like each two people at a table. So at the top of the alphabet and the bottom of the alphabet and worked his way down. And so Ben was near the top and I was near the bottom. And that's how we got stuck to each other, next to each other. And this guy was no, no seat changing. You were, st- you were at this table for the, for the year. And so I didn't like Ben. I didn't, I didn't know Ben. I knew Ben from a distance, but I didn't really like him. Who was the cooler? Who was the cooler kid? See, it's, it's, oh. I'm going to have to say Ben okay. because, because of the hair. He had the hair. He at the time, and he he was before he had his growth spurt. Before Ben had his growth spurt, he was a little chunky. He was this little round guy with red hair, and he had a, a VW bug, oh, a black VW right. bug. So think about a freshman sophomore kid and coming into a new the, high the school. Chun- the chunky ginger was the cool kid <laughs> in the comparison with you. With this with this cool car, and so everyone knew about this car. And Ben's a funny. He's an outgoing outgoing kid and so yeah everyone loved ben and then he grew like a foot and then so he lost the chunky part he's gotten it back but he didn't have it (laughs) oh my gosh ben i'm sorry (laughs) see if you just said yes this wouldn't be happening so you mentioned term limits as and i'm guessing that's probably the biggest thing you would think has changed over 25 years or not it's horrible maybe aside from that you look up past the 25 is there something else that you think has changed in the way that lobbyists work? Or the, or is that just the, the, the game changer in the whole well, thing? Well, just for me, I, and everybody's going to answer that question differently. Um, I think term limits is just, it's taken, I, I always think about how much I love getting to know legislators and having that trust build, and then you start knowing what their priorities are, and you start figuring out how you're going to work together, and that just is just eliminated. But I will say this. When I started in 1991, our offices were above the beer and wine wholesalers, which was an old house where their building is now, and we were using their fax machine. We didn't even have our own fax machine. And I had a computer with DOS, and <laughs> um, and you, you're going to have other lobbyists and other people share the story, but at that time in 1991, if you wanted a copy of a bill... Um, you would ask your legislator, but basically the public had to go to the basement of the Capitol and go to this place called the document room, and you could rent little slots where a copy of every single bill was put and they had status books. The, the point is, it, it's, I know I, it, it's just so hard to imagine a time when none of this was available to the public. And, and as a lobbyist, just getting a copy of a bill to a client through the mail was service. So fast forward probably 10, 12 years, the man who hired me, his business partner, Daryl and Ellen, Daryl, I said, Daryl, come here and check this out. And now we actually have real computers and I have, you know, an email address and things like that. And it just, I said, Daryl, check this out. And I was showing him the legislative website. I was showing him where you can find bills. I was showing him how you can search things. 
And it was late at night, and Daryl probably, he just, it, it, he said, what are they going to need us for? Yeah. <laughs> you know? I just, it, was, it was really th that that has changed so much. Yeah. I mean, I know that's geezer talk. Your, your intern's like rolling her eyes. <laughs> she wasn't alive when that happened. Yeah. <laughs> Not that you were alive, you know? So I get it. That's why but I when I when I started in Governor Angler's communications office, we sent a press release by going to the fax machine and pushing one. Because <laughs> one was the statewide media list, and we hit one, enter, and it went off. And then we took 25 copies across the street and stuck them in the, in the mailbox. Yeah. Was it that shiny fax paper? Yeah. There yeah. I don't want to spoil your story, but when I, when I was working in the attorney general's office and 2010, we still did the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Had no one told them yet? <laughs> right. That didn't work. Still went to the fax machine and pushed one. Do you feel like you have to have a certain personality trait to be a successful lobbyist? And I only ask because it seems like you do an awful lot of talking and you need to be pretty outgoing. And I feel like as personally as an introvert, that type of job would be super hard for me. So I'm just curious what you think. Says somebody that works at a you know issue management. PR yeah, but firm. I do digital marketing. Like I don't talk to anybody. Um, <laughs> I can. Well, this is this is a place where you eat what you kill, right? Your lifeblood is are the clients that choose to hire you to do stuff. Yeah. And and unlike a lobbyist, you actually have to do stuff. Okay. We had this conversation once about um, the people that really have trunk folds trunk fulls of cash in this town of the PR people, right? No, not necessarily. Right? <laughs> and I look behind me in my yeah, trunk. Yeah, right, right. But no, but the point is, we, and we, Matt and I were talking about, you know, retainers are short, more short-term for PR and issue management clients, but they're much higher, but you also have to immediately start producing things where I can say, we're going to work on this, we're going to get a plan, we're going to develop relationships. Okay, so back to the introvert-extrovert thing. Um, so let me say this, there are stereotypes of, and, and I'm gonna answer it more generally, there are stereotypes of the good advocate. And that advocate, she's loud, she talks, she's fearless, she stands on tables, holds up cardboard signs, labor union, or whatever. Anyway, there's this image that you have to be a certain way, and actually the very best in, the, in advocacy, and I think this applies to a lot of fields where you assume people have to be an expert. Some of the very best lobbyists are actually introverts. And some of the very best advocates are very um, people that are kind of nervous and embarrassed and intimidated. And and what makes them good is they've got a little bit of humility and they don't assume they know it all. And they there's a steadiness there that somebody like me, an expert that just runs her mouth, you know, gets into trouble all <laughs> the time because I don't have an edit button yeah. and I'm waving my arms at everybody in the room here. But, you know, so I think that I also, I've been thinking a lot about this introvert-extrovert stuff because you know, we know there are introverts that are extroverts professionally. Mm -hmm. And I used to think I was an extrovert. I used to go out dancing every night of the week. Yes, I was a disco, <laughs> I was a disco mom. I, I would, if I wasn't discoing, I was doing something every night of the week. And now Sounds my- extroverted. One of my, one of the, my best weekend is where I Go home at Friday. Mm -hmm. I have nothing planned, and I don't speak to another person until Monday. Yeah. So what you're does that resetting. make me now? But your job keeps you very busy and talking to people all day long, day and night, right? So I think, to me, it makes sense to need a break because you're human. Yeah. So <laughs> Yeah. But just to say, introverts have a certain thoughtfulness that I think has a place in lobbying and has a place in advocacy. Yeah. Yeah. I've appreciated learning that lesson you mentioned about from lobbyists the, the setting of expectations. <laughs> I've always, I've always, I've, I've been on conference calls with lobbyists and answered a question from a client and like, yeah, we'll get that done next week. 
And then I listen to the way it should be answered, which is, well, you know, this is going to take a little bit of time. We're going to work on this. And it's going to the expectation game. It really is. And, you know, I've I've had more than one group come to me and just I've looked at their organization or I've looked at their issue. And it's like, you know, I can take your money. And I'm not trying to make myself out as that holy. I just but just to say, you know what, this is never going to work. I can take your money. But. <clears throat> you're just not ready for this. You know, it's, your issue isn't there yet. Your organization isn't there yet. So that's, yeah. So if you were going to go back and you look over the, the legislative relationships you've had over the last 25 years, and you could pick one person to go back and have dinner with, one legislator who you'd lobbied, that you say, uh, that's one person I'd like to go back and have a dinner with. Oh, wow. Even though I worked with him side by side, you know, in his office, practically at a desk in his office. Ted Wallace was a Detroit legislator. Oh, I remember him. And he was, uh, you know, he was the one that very quietly was shepherding the mandatory minimum repeal legislation through. I think he was chair of judiciary. I, he, yeah, he, he was. Yeah, that, see, that would, I, I can't believe, but he was someone who died so young. And I think that's what makes it wanting to have dinner. Now, there's a person that he's still with us that I would have dinner with any time, and that's George McManus. And Senator McManus lives up in Traverse City, and he actually, he's one of these guys that carries his family genealogy and yours in his head. I mean, you know. And the first time I met him, he told me that he lived in my great-grandfather and grandmother's home. And he would routinely share things about my family and things that and are their like, box of porn. Yeah, well, <laughs> my great-grandmother couldn't tell her cows from other people's cows. Oh. Okay, stuff like that. Now, so that's what makes George really fun. And he's just, his office, it was really interesting. Wherever Senator McManus's office was, it was sort of the hangout office. And if you think about everybody, in some ways, everybody that worked for George McManus is still in the system somehow, it seems like. You know, I can tell you where they've ended up. It's, it's interesting. There are those members who you, you, can they have the tree, the, the staff tree or the lobby tree of yeah. people who were part of the team. And, and I'm trying to think of like... Virgil Smith is a group. Senator Smith was a group. Joanne Emmons comes to mind of someone yes. who has a lot of people. Or Dick Postumus has people that... Um, it, was, it was fascinating. I was talking with Stephanie. We were in a, we were in a client meeting a couple of weeks ago with Ken Sycama. And in the room with him were three of his former staffers, all in various professional roles. And I'm like, it was kind of like a, a Ken Sikama Senate Majority Leader reunion meeting, oh, wow. but they were all in different roles. That's really cool. That's, yeah. that's cool. I don't know that we have that. There was a time when I could say where we had former interns here, here, and here. And it does, it, you know, it's cool. But I'm really uncomfortable with that sort of grizzled elder leader, you know, got it all together kind of image, which not that many people think. But sometimes people who don't know me think that, and I, I hate that. But, yeah. So not to put you on the spot here as we wrap things up, but since we do have Carly sitting here, and she's, you're a, you're a junior, right, Carly? I'm a senior. Senior, okay, well, even more appropriate. If what advice would Jean Doss give to Carly as she's looking to graduate here in the year and, and you know get a big girl job get a get a get a big job <laughs> well the 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 period of time between graduating and getting that first job that reflects a college degree I'm not talking I mean you know I was and I had many jobs after graduation that were respectable jobs and I don't want to diminish them but none of them had anything to do with me having a college degree and that's a very lonely hard spot you know why did I bother doing this and it's a it's a it, I feel that time viscerally still all these years and so tap into that people remember and people want to pay it forward um, but 
I would also say to you, okay, so just tell me, what advice do you have for somebody who's just starting college? Get involved. Mm -hmm. Do as much as you can with the time that you have. Meet people. What surprised friends. you about your college experience? Um, I think just how everything became so small the further I got into my um, degree. Like, I'm at a school with 50,000 kids, but I feel like I know the entire college at this point. Like, everybody knows everyone somehow. Everyone's connected. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that was interesting to me. And it's that network that will land you every single job you yeah. get in your life. It's it's not, <laughs> it's, I think, <clears throat> first of all, job searching these days, this is, we're back to geezer talk, okay? You know how you're <laughs> supposed to submit your resume online and do this, and, it's, and, and it goes into this, you know, black hole, nobody ever responds, nobody ever says, eh, you know, there's nothing. And you wonder why people get discouraged in their job hunting. So you have to flip the script, and you have to be the one that goes out and interviews who could be your next boss. And it's not anything I came up with. You know, what color is your balloon, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Parachute. Parachute, balloon. Well, okay, sorry. Same difference. I'm so glad okay. you're here. This is like all brains on deck. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think that um, just talk to people. And the other thing that I, so you're already getting a sense. One of the things I like asking people is like, what surprised you about, you know, your experience or whatever? The other thing I'm really enjoying asking people these days is what do you do better than anybody else? And there are some men I have to say, no, not that. <laughs> um, but what do you do better than anybody else? And I actually, I need to copyright that, okay? Mm -hmm. That is a Kelly Rossman McKinney. We, she came in and was talking to our firm, the first, you know, capital services mm -hmm. first phase. And, you know, she was talking about her own profession and how she, anybody can do a press release, anybody can do a press, or what does she do better than anybody else? And, you know, she was challenging us as a lobbying firm to think about that. And I just find it's a great question to ask. So I'm going to ask you, what do you do better than anybody else? Put me on the spot. Um, I think I'm really good at reading people and being mm. able to respond well in various situations. I that's, guess. that's that's better than Excel, okay? Spreadsheet. <laughs> that's a great I can write start. an email. Does that count? <laughs> right, right. No, that's that's good. I, well, so was this so bad? So so hard? Not so bad. It re went no. really fast. Thank God. No, okay. Good. I mean, no offense. I didn't mean it that way. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And people can't see my energetic hand gestures. I, I wish we enjoyed it though. I yeah. wish we okay. were doing a, a video podcast of this yeah. episode. This would have been entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'll bring my and box you, of porn in next time I come in. <laughs> bring Sean. Is the second from the left. <laughs> bring Sean with you. Um, no, it's been great to talk to you. And you were you were on the the first list. It took us a few seasons, but the first lobbyist um, of Lansing and of this podcast, Gene Doss, Capital Services. Thanks for being with us. Cold oatmeal. Mm, mm, <clears throat> yep, <laughs> I love that name. Okay, I might regret this, but we're back. Let's talk. Let's let's have a real PR conversation for a second. That'd be a switch. Yeah. 
I'll just mute myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, it struck me because, and I don't want to get into the, the nuts and bolts of the, the actual controversy here, but for folks in Michigan, you may have heard, and actually maybe beyond Michigan at this point, um, Founders Brewery in Grand Rapids has had a bit of an issue with a uh, employee and some racial discrimination suits in Detroit. Um, they've had some some boycotts. Some they pulled out of some festivals. Um, they've had their beer pulled from from some stores. And there was an interesting interview in the Free Press late last week, as this was all kind of unfolding, with the owners, the founders of Founder Founders. And there was a sentence that jumped out that one of the that one of the guys said. I wanted to kind of get get the take of the the PR professionals here in the room as I look around at my at my capable colleagues here. He said he admitted, and I'm reading from the free press here, he admitted that founders should have handled the communications in a more timely manner. Quote, we had PR firms tell us not to say anything, and it does not work, not with social media. So I'm curious. Their their take and their advice that they had been given was they're in the throes of this thing, and they were told to be quiet. I can't imagine a PR firm giving that advice. I can imagine attorneys giving that advice. Um, and that often happens where you want to get a message out there. You want to be responsive because we live in an age of transparency and instant information. So you've got to get something out there. But the attorneys are almost always the ones that will say, knock it off, don't say a thing. And that seems to happen a lot. I had the exact same thought when I read that line. I, I thought, I mean, I, I don't know who they're, what PR firms they talk to. I, I genuinely don't know <clears throat> if they have someone on retainer or you know, who they use. Um, but it struck me as the sort of thing that they would hear from a lawyer who also billed him or herself as someone who works with the press. Mm-hmm. There's, there must be something more to the story. Doesn't there have to be? There's got to be a, a personnel complaint. There's got to be a personnel file. There's something else that would cause somebody to give them that advice, mm-hmm. anybody to give them that advice. And I, I can only imagine that it, it would be someone who's who's looking out for their liability. Um, so, I, yeah, I didn't strike me at all and it doesn't strike me now as PR advice. Yeah, to stay silent for what the whole week or most of the week on social media and this is going on in the news, that's a bad move. I would say get in front of it, start, you know, share your own messaging and then start posting other content. I mean, move on. If you're if you don't want the negativity to be the main focus, then focus on other things on your own social channels. Well, it wasn't the kind of scandal that was going to go away. Well, <laughs> I mean, right. It's not the kind of thing that silence could solve, right? Right. I mean, right. Well, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take the flip side because I, I don't disagree with any of you that, you know, a weekend to be silent was the wrong advice. But the question I guess I would ask, and I think the challenge that a lot of these things bring with it, is knowing when that tipping point thing is. That is this really something that we need to talk about because so much of social media is just a flash fluke. It's gone. It's a random comment. It's a post. It's a, it's a, you know, somebody saying something and you don't need to pay attention to it. And that's why I think I felt a little bit for them because I could see the advice being, this is just, it's just, it's just a post. It's going to go away. Just give it a night and let it go away because so much of social media just goes away and it's so instantaneous. But then in this case, it, it it snowballed and got out of control. But yeah. it, it made the news almost immediately. 
didn't it? I, yeah, I, I pretty mean, quickly. It, th- this wasn't something where they sat on it for a week and nobody paid any attention. I mean, people paid attention right away. And I think as soon as you start getting phone calls from reporters, you're going to be having a conversation. I mean, there's a co- going to be a conversation about you and about your business and about what happened. And the question becomes, how do you best want to position yourself in that conversation? What role do you want to have in that conversation? Um, and I don't, I don't know that it makes any sense at all to allow that conversation to happen without you as a participant. Well, and on top of it, their diversity and inclusion person quit like immediately after that and said, I was never allowed a seat at the table. I was never, you know, be, being able to give any advice that, that was taken into consideration. So that didn't make it any better. It was kind of like, oh, maybe there really is a problem here mm-hmm. versus something that would blow over. I think that's that's true, and it kind of gets to the point where it's it's issue specific. Um, and if you're living in 2019, almost 2020, and the hot button topics are diversity, inclusion, racism, um, you know, the Me Too stuff, anything where it's there's a, a media that's primed and and has a strong appetite for it, you almost you can't expect that you're going to ever fly under the radar with something like that. This is why I continue to believe there's more. There's got to be more to the story that, w- that we just don't know that would lead to this course of action. If there's not more to the story that would lead to this course, this recommendation and this advice, then it feels like malpractice right. um, from whoever gave them the advice. But, um, but I, I have a hard time judging a firm that I don't know, right. a situation right. I don't know, on details that I don't know. It doesn't look good, though. Okay, let's... Let's move on to more important questions because I'm. Let's see. There was probably a question. Was there a poll on this week's on there, there at cold oatmeal pod? There appears that there was a poll. Yes. Okay. Um, the poll was best part of Halloween. Give and could you read with a little? Oh, what you're, you're you're not really selling the question. Why don't you, you do it? <laughs> <laughs> a little more enthusiasm. What's the best question? part? First of all, it doesn't have a question mark, so it's a statement with a pumpkin. <laughs> so it's best part of hashtag Halloween pumpkin emoji. <laughs> Giving candy, getting candy, or getting it over with. And fifty-eight percent said getting it over with. That's oh just, my that's goodness! Which I mean, just sucks. Grow up. Yeah, it's not that bad. It's two hours. I mean, it's two wrong holiday, hours. but what a bunch of Grinches! Right. I know. Yeah. Cold I voted getting hearts. it over with. Really? Yes. Stephanie and Matt Stephanie. hate Halloween. I mean, I don't love dressing up, but I love handing out the candy to the kids. Like that was my favorite thing when we first bought a house. That's like, the I can issue. Hand out candy. That's the issue right then and there, because the weight loss program goes really well all <laughs> summer long, and then the Halloween candy shows up, and then it's three months of just nothing but intake where the food is concerned that candy sits there and i one for you three for me one for you five for me that's what i usually try and buy the stuff i don't like if anyone in this office has a problem with excess halloween candy they're welcome to bring it in i've got a drawer in my office that that we (laughs) can put it of crunch bars full of crunch bars right now yeah but it can be full of other things just commit to doing what i do every year which is like at 755 the last kid i just, just dump, dump all it. of it in their bag <laughs> not that i want it anyway but like just just do it do it and it won't be a problem and you've made a kid's year absolutely <laughs> halloween's great yeah i love it Ugh. i like the costumes i like little kids but that candy i have a i have a real problem resisting the candy you could be that lady and hand out nickels 
dental floss. Oh, Pencils. That sucks. Apples. Then all the kids hate you. <laughs> Are you on door duty or going, we haven't We haven't decided duty? yet how it's going to play out because we split up with some friends of ours and we, we split up and some half of us take the kids trick-or-treating and the other half hand out candy. I got into a long conversation with Cooper. It was a fairly one-sided conversation the other night about Halloween because I'm like, you know, Coop, I know you love Halloween, but for me... It is the first day of four months of arguments because as long as your candy exists in this house, you will be asking me for candy constantly. I will constantly be saying no, and then we will constantly be arguing about candy. And that's why. Have you ever thought about this approach, which I know some people do, where it's like, okay, you guys have this candy. Now you have 10 days or just some some number of time eat all the candy you want throw up i don't care and then and then it, and then it's gone. then it's gone they the funny they actually lose interest after a while you know that we argue for a few weeks and there's always the you know did you eat your eat your dinner well enough to get a, a snickers bar fight that happens until like you know thanksgiving time and then they they tend to just forget about it but it's just that happens at our house too I, we wind up by thanksgiving with a couple of big bags of candy that we just throw away this is not even possible. This would this could so never happen in our house because even if my kids aren't eating it, I know it's there. <laughs> I feel guilty. I really yeah. I don't do wasting the it. Tax. You yeah, know what? No, I pay like, for those I kids up. I can't they take can my kids' candy. I think Snickers. they trick or treated. They went out and they earned this. I, who am I to take their butterfinger? We I bought their well, costume. They did. They look cute, and they said trick or treat, and they said thank you. And we took Adeline to Boo at the Zoo at Potter Park last weekend. And, you know, they only, you go to these different stations and you can get candy. Right. And Jimmy was like, well, let's just keep going. I go, no, take her to get the candy. And then he comes back and I take a piece and I go, here, here's yours. <laughs> yeah. So, so, well, you don't, don't have feel the same that compunction that I have now. But. So, Joe, what do you do for Thanksgiving or for Thanksgiving, for Halloween? <laughs> <laughs> I just hand it, I just, I don't do anything. I sit on the porch and I hand it out and I, I hand out generous monster handfuls of it. Every year I think I'm going to do the king size candy bar thing and then I always. Do you do any, kind special, of any special effects? Fog machines? Oh, um, we play, uh, Bobby and I have uh, a record player, and we have a single of uh, Tainted Love, um, Soft Cell, 80 song. Just, you, you you know, look, look it up. Um, and we can slow it down to, like, a quarter of the speed, and it turns into this really creepy... Halloween sounding music but like some adults pick up on what it is but most just think it's this weird moaning <laughs> and it takes about like 25 minutes for it to play through and we'll just do that you know for two hours it's good so it is Halloween and I feel I do need to apologize um, I got a little ahead of myself as we recorded our last episode with Mackenzie I was really excited because I thought we had some um, cool Halloween guests lined up, not to diminish the wonderful Jean, da- Jean Doss and all the all that she brought to the podcast today. Um, but we did we did not. I was I was I feel like like a failure in, in getting these folks to. It would have been good. We're going to get them back. We'll have to figure out another holiday where it would where it might work. But if it makes you feel any better, I was scared when Jean started talking about porn. <laughs> <laughs> We, we all, know. We, we all, all knew. We all agreed that was probably the most terrifying <laughs> moment of your Halloween. <laughs> anyway, so Gene, thanks for stopping by, being our our first lobbyist on this Halloween edition of the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. Uh, for Matt, Joe, Nick, Stephanie, Laura, and Nikki, and Carly, who was here with us before, we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>